You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. So good to see you. Hope you are doing well and staying cool and uh, so enjoyed. Thank you guys for coming to my house. So uh, no guilt for uh, if you couldn't make it, just genuinely missed you. And uh, we have uh, next month, even though the date was a little bit wrong on the screen, I don't know what date it is. It's in August, about a month from now. But uh, hope you can make that one at the Holberts. And uh, anyway, but uh, just so good to, to open God's Word this morning. I want to share with you, last week we talked about what it, um, what it meant to be people who have the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is leaving and He wants us to know that When we have surrendered our life to Him and we're followers of Him, we're born again, that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and we don't live this life alone, that He is with us and in us every moment of every day and there to help us with what we need, to encourage us, convict us, and guide us, and just everything. And this morning, Jesus, uh, as we open up His Word, tells us what it means to abide in Him. And all of these things are really related. They're all similar. In fact, Jesus said, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and you already know who He is. In fact, when He comes, my Father and I are going to come. He represents us. And so we want this morning to hear what Jesus has to tell us, what it means to abide and to, to live and to make our life in Him. You know, when, uh, when a, a woman becomes pregnant, there is an amazing explosion of life that happens inside of her. When that, that, that sperm and that egg connect, it's just incredible. The DNA that everything that that human being ever needs in life is there present in that very moment. Incredible, just incredible spark, if you will. Uh, 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 Not the big bang that we think about in the evolutionary worlds, but a bang inside, if you will. And just to think, you know, somewhere between 18 and 20, 22 days, something like that, that there's already the the pulsation of of the heart that's beginning to move and to flow and and preparation of life. And just incredible as you think about, you know, the things that begin unfolding inside of that, inside of that uh, precious, precious little child. And I think somewhere around five or six weeks along the way, the baby actually is able to start moving. And and there's, you know, the brain waves, the the, uh, neurological brain starts, begins to fire in that time period and somewhere around you know eight weeks uh, I, I, my understanding is is that uh, you know the legs begin forming and by 10 weeks there's little fingers and toes and in fact the baby's able to grasp things and able to yawn and stretch and suck their thumb and just incredible the the explosion of life that that happens inside that child and if you unpack a little bit further just the the intricacies of how God designed the human body and designed the, the care and protection inside of mama, of what a young child needs, but how the, the umbilical cord is attached to the baby and brings all of the nutrients and all of the oxygen and all of the food that mama provides and, you know, and attached. There's something just so unique about how the placenta attaches to the, to the mama that the baby has its own unique blood supply and so the nutrients get filtered in and the waste gets filtered out and just incredible. And if anywhere along that way, that umbilical cord somehow gets severed or more commonly, if the placenta gets separated from mama, that what results is death. That baby, everything designed inside of that 
is to keep the baby attached and firmly rooted and grounded inside of mama because it provides all that it needs. That's a picture of what you and I, how we are to live our life abiding in Jesus. It means that we are to be close to Him. It means we are rooted in Him. It means that we are, all of our resources, all of our life, all of our vitality comes in relation to Him and that we as His followers aren't just followers from afar, but we are to live out our life in close proximity to abide in Him. I, this morning, I want to talk about what that means for you and I to make our way in this world and to experience that. And how do we do that? And, and what does that look like? And the, the results of it in our life are profound. And so read with me, if you would, in, in John chapter 15. John 15, the Bible, the Bible says this. Jesus I'm guessing is walking with his disciples because at the end of chapter 14, he says, rise, let us go from here. So he's left the upper room, making his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be spending time in prayer to the Father, where he's going to be arrested and be tried. He knows his time is short. And I can envision this conversation happening along the way. And he's just doing his dead level best to explain all to his disciples what they need to know. That they're not going to be alone, the Holy Spirit's coming, but when the Holy Spirit comes with them, their focus needs to be to live out their life abiding simply in Him. And so he says this, he says, he says, I am the true vine, and my father, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, that's you, is what he's talking about, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, talking about the Father, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it, may be, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. In other words, already you're saved. He just told them, he told, just finished telling Peter, we looked at it a few weeks ago, but it just happened in real time. Peter, I don't need to clean your whole body. You're already saved. I've already washed you of your sins. I just need to get some of the dirt off your feet. Jesus said, you're already clean because of the word. You're already saved. You're already with me. But you need to abide in me. That's what he says in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." So much for power of positive thinking and human empowerment and be all you can be and you can do it, you go. It's like yeah, there is nothing, not one thing you can do whatsoever apart from me. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and they're thrown into the fire and burned. It's a picture ultimately of you either are a follower of Jesus and abiding in Him and have fruit and are saved and experience heaven, or you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't bear fruit, you're not saved, and you burn ultimately. He says, if you abide in me, in verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I'm going to pause there. This passage is so... Some passages in the Bible, you can kind of read it and get the majority of it and take it at face value. And this passage is one of those you're like, oh my goodness, let me go back. There's a lot of moving parts into understanding here. There's a lot of machinery, a lot of cogs in the wheels, and a lot of things that Jesus is saying to us. To be honest with you, more than what we have time to unpack this morning. And uh, I presume, ladies, on Thursday when you get together in your time, you can unpack and pull some of those apart. But we're going to hit the high points and the big pieces this morning. But in essence, what Jesus is really talking about is he's saying, guys, this whole thing, You've grown up your whole life thinking about religion and thinking about all the rules and about the the temple and thinking about all of the stuff that you need to do. But what I'm talking to you now is personal, is close. The Holy Spirit is going to come and the Father is going to make His life with you. That was a foreign concept to them that, you know, God was a holy God that lived inside the Holy of Holies that was in one spot on the planet. And Jesus just finished telling them that God Himself is going to live and make His life with individually with each one of you and the Holy Spirit. And now you need to abide in me, even though I'm not here and I'm going to be leaving and you're about to see me crucified and this whole thing's changing, but... You need to stay with me. You see, he's, he's changing the whole picture of what they were viewing their, their faith as. It was not this, it was more of an abstract concept that God's out there. And even today, so many people look at, you know, faith or maybe uh, what it means to be religious or Christianity or whatever is this kind of, you know, a religious kind of thing, a thing that you do and God's out there. And what Jesus is like, that is the wrong picture. This is really about a relationship. I'm making my life with you personally. I want to be deeply involved in you, your life. And I want you to be deeply involved with me that he's saying this is a very close, very close kind of thing. So he says, abide. It's a command. It's something we're supposed to do. Suppose something we're supposed to do repeatedly, regularly. In other words, we can disobey it. We cannot abide. He's not, he's not saying you're at, you're at risk of losing your salvation or somehow, you know, those things. What he's saying is, is you need to stay close. Fix yourself close to me. Live your life out close, in close proximity to me. A number of years ago, in my not-so-wise days, even as a pastor and someone responsible to be helping other pastors, I went through a season of ministry where I just allowed myself to get busy. Nobody's fault but my own. And I looked up one day and kind of looked at my calendar, and I realized that I was flying out of town every other week for five months straight, which is not a wise thing when you have a wife and eight kids at home, Right? And you have, you know, power goes out and just life happens. And frankly, I was getting kind of exhausted and I wasn't a lot of fun to be around. I'd come home and I was kind of cranky, you know, because stuff, I'd come home and I was not only worn out after those trips and traveling all around the country or wherever, and it was nobody's fault but my own. Nobody was making me do it. I just kind of trying to be faithful and thought I needed to do that. And my wife, in just a very wise way, handled it so well, Not did not get angry, did not come yelling and paying, what are you doing, and you just leave me. She just said, I'm starting to get a little scared because I'm not missing you as much right now. I'm starting to get used to you not being around. And I don't need you quite so much. In fact, 
it's getting to where it's a little easier to not have you here than it is to have you here. And she handled that so well. And that was a humongous wake-up call to me. And I said, oh boy, what am I doing? It was a cry for help on her part. She could tell. I, I kind of, I was clueless, just not realizing what it was doing in our relationship, just in the distance and going and all of that. And she was feeling the pains of that and feeling those realities. Now, some of you have jobs where you have to travel and those are realities. And so I'm not saying if you, you're bad if you travel and good if you don't. I'm not saying that because to be honest with you, some marriages end up in that space where you're still going to bed and living in the same house in the same room that you've allowed you know, relationship to become distant and not close and just allowed life to be in the middle of that. But that's what Jesus is talking about. You know, nothing had changed the reality that we were married and husband and wife and loved each other, but there was not the connection, there was not the proximity, there was not the closeness. And we and I had allowed life to get in, in ministry in the name of Jesus, you know, to do things that God ultimately was like, yes, yeah, Sean, I did not ask for you to do all of that stuff. That's really not, was not my game plan for you and what you needed to be doing. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, guys, stay close. You're my followers. You're already clean. You're already saved. But you need to make an intentional decision to live your life in close proximity, sticking close to me, abiding with me. Stay close in my life. He unpacks a little bit further what that means. He kind of pulls it back a little bit more and he says, he says, abide in my love. In verse 9, he says, as the Father's loved me, so I've loved you. That's incredible. There is perfect love between the Father to the Son. Nothing in between them. There is a, there is a model of really ultimately of what our even relationship should be like. And Jesus says, and I'm turning around and I'm loving you in that exact same way. I am committing myself to you. But notice what he says. He says, abide in my love. Jesus loves us. And so often... We take that as a license that, oh, I'm living in this world, this mess, but Jesus loves me, everything's good. Jesus says, no, I do love you, but you've got a job to do, and your job is to stay in my love. Don't wander outside of my love, stay in my love. Any parent who's worth anything, when you have that child or your children and parents in the room, you know what I'm talking about. You want to create in your home a bubble. You want to create a place where there is love and security and protection and provision and care and all the resources that your kids need, a place of enrichment where they can grow and blessing, right? You want that to be, a, you want that to be an incredible place for them. And then when you get in your car, you want that bubble to move. That bubble is now moving, and you want that around your car. And when you go out, wherever you go, I don't care if it's camping, if you're going to the mall, you want that provision and protection and care and training and equipping and enrichment and all that. You want that bubble to navigate and go with you, and you want your children to live inside of that bubble. Now, that's good, obviously, for the most part. I'm not talking about helicopter parenting. That's where we come to be a little too intense. Like, no, your kid needs to grow up. 
They don't need you to be mama and baby them for their whole life. And that's a whole other sermon on how to raise kids and all that. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm, this is what Jesus is talking to us about. He says, guys, stay in the bubble. Stay within my realm that I am providing for you. That I've created this world of provision and protection and blessing and care and enrichment. And don't leave that. Don't go out and do your own thing. Stay in my love. Stay in the sphere of love that I created for you. Because that's, stay within my will. Stay in my world. Don't wander off away from that. We adopted a cat. Nobody asked us to. The cat kind of showed up. And because I, I just, you know, I, I don't like seeing things hurt and struggle and all of that. And this cat, I'm like, this cat is going to have a hard time come December, January. It does not know it yet, but it's July. And even though it's 80 and 90 degrees out, this was like a year ago, it is in rough shape already. And so we just started feeding it and all of that. And it's scared. It hissed like, Shh, you know, like, what are you doing? I'm like, cat, seriously, we're just trying to like be nice to you. Just chill, relax, you know. We finally, it took us a year, but won it over and all of that. I never, because you can't, you really don't train a cat. To be honest with you, the cats train you more than anything. If you ever own one, most animals work that way. But this cat, we let it outside every day. And if it wanted to, it could leave. It could make its way to California for all if I ever would ever know. I mean, it could go anywhere in the world that it very well wants to. But it, deep down, it knows it found a pretty sweet deal. You know, it's got a safe home at night, and it's got some food, and it's learned that, like, getting petted is not that bad of a thing after all. You know, it's actually a pretty sweet thing. It has learned to stay within our love and care. And what Jesus is telling us, Christians, that we should stay in the world of His care. That our job is to not wander outside and to go far and astray and leave the plan that He has for our life, to leave the world that He's created and made for us. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But that's what He's saying. He's saying, stay close, stay in my love, stay in that bubble, because that's where your blessing is, because that's what I've created for you. That's where my life and your life connect and what I have made for you. So how do we, how do we then do this? What, how do we abide in Him? Notice what the Bible says. He says in verse 7, If you abide in Me, and He expands this a little bit more, and my words abide in you. So we live inside of Jesus. We're the baby protected in mama, being cared for, nurtured. And we're living, we're tight with him. And that is his loving hand is all around us. But his words are to in turn abide in us. They're to, to stay and to soak into our soul. You see, we abide in Jesus... When Jesus' words abide in us. We live in Him when what He says lives in us. You see, God's Word is not just something that's abstract, some manual that we read, some how-to thing. I mean, it's good to go to God's Word when we're 
got questions in life or need encouragement or directions or, or it's just it's good it's healthy to do that but it's not it's not like sitting down and reading the manual for your new toy which you don't read anyway you know you're just like how you start hitting buttons and hope you can figure it out and how it works i know how you roll with that guys i do the exact same thing right and then i don't get it to work i'm like oh i guess i gotta read it and you finally sit down and do what you gotta do that's not the bible you see god's word's different these are the words of the eternal, infinite, all-knowing, all-wise God written for you and for me. Not just stuff that we know in our head, but to be the gateway, the pathway through which we abide in Him. So those words are become living and real and lived out in our life. When Jesus saves us, He delivers us from our sin. He breaks that bondage and He, he adopts us into our, His family. We put our faith and our trust in Him, and we, we turn from those sins, and He does an amazing thing. He lives inside of us, and then He begins at that point in the rest of our life to conform His character into our lives, to build Himself into us. And the pathway for that is His Word. You see, it's impossible for you and I to live close to God if we ignore His Word. If we don't give ourselves to reading of the Bible, or if you, if you do not read well, if you struggle to read a little bit, get an easier translation to read. Or listen to it. Like, get the audio thing, listen to it. Just, like, whatever it takes. But just, your life should become saturated with God's Word. Now, the thing about God's Word is it is so infinite, you will spend the rest of your life. I still, as I read it, and I, I get paid to study it. <laughs> You know, I mean, you got. I, it's my job to study it and soak it in, and every week, and I still am like, I didn't know that was in there. That's amazing. Truth be known, I've read it a million times, you know, or whatever, and I'm just, I never picked up on these things, and it's just, I'm in a different stage of life or whatever, and God speaks. You will never exhaust it. But that's kind of the point, is that even if you've read through it and you study it, because it is a dynamic gateway for you to experience the presence of God in your life, and it's how God is real, lived in day in and day out. Sometimes as Christians, we feel like we go through the season, and it's like, well, God just feels so distant to me, and I'm just... I'm not feeling it, and I'm just kind of, uh, and I, you know, and call it whatever you want, spiritual depression or spiritual dryness or lull. But so often, it's not God that moved. It's us, because we've neglected these things. And God is kind of like my wife saying, like, you hadn't been hanging around lately, buddy. Where you been? You're gallivanting around the world, and you're saving the world, but you're not really connecting in with me. So to abide in Jesus, we have to give ourselves to God's Word. And it's okay if you don't understand everything you read, because just say, God, help me to understand what I need to know. Lean into it. And as you do, more and more you become proficient at it. But day one, God begins speaking and working into your soul. And, and drawing you in even closer and closer, and it keeps you in that world, if you will, in that bubble as you live out and out and about. So abiding in Him comes through abiding in His Word and His Word living inside of us. We, we live inside of that, and that Word lives inside of us. But ultimately, it means that we keep His commandments. You see, he says in verse 9, As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
if you keep my commandments, see that in verse 10? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Folks, when you and I disobey God, it is like we hit the door, the front door, and we check ourselves out of His love. It's like going to a hotel and plopping your key on the desk and I'm checking out, I'll see you. When you and I disobey God, we are no longer abiding in His love in that moment. We are stepping out of the safety zone. We're like a cat that crosses the street that has all that it could ever want. Like, why do you need to leave my yard? You have everything here and you go into the road where it's dangerous or you go out across wherever and where the wolves are and all the other things out there. And there's something inside of our soul, for followers of Jesus, that even though we know Jesus saves us and He loves us, there's still that wanderlust in our soul, that sin nature in our hearts, that from time to time, we will do that. And Jesus is telling us, don't do it. It's kind of the nature of commands, right? You don't command somebody to do things they already do and want to do. Kids, eat your candy. Kids, stay up late at night. Kids, watch too much TV. Kids, text, you know. You don't command things that you want to do automatically. You command things that you don't want to do and not your nature to do. And so while we love Jesus and we at times as followers of Jesus experience His presence in our life and His closeness and we enjoy that, we love that in the bubble, there's something down in our soul that says, yeah, but I'm going to check out and walk out that front door. And the Lord Jesus says, don't. Stay. Stay close. Because the world tempts us and we, we become lured and we think we know better and we just want what we want and we head for that. And Jesus says, no, that's not the world I provided for you. That which you want is not good for you. It's dangerous out there. There's things you know not of. Stay put. And my commands are there to help you to experience the world and the love and my presence the way you should. You see, so often we are brought up in, in whether it's homes or whatever, and we, none of us really like to do, we don't like everybody telling us what to do, right? We want freedom. And it's one of the great things growing up is like, oh, I don't have to listen to mom and dad at every little turn. I can kind of live life and get some freedom. We like that. But Jesus says, keep my commandments. You see, Jesus' commandments are different than the commandments of this world. His commandments are not commandments of hate. They're actually commandments of love. They're not commandments of control. They're not first and foremost commandments of being a killjoy, just squashing your life. But they're actually there to provide life and help you to experience what that life was meant to be, to experience His peace and His joy and His safety and His blessing. He says, keep my commandments because that's the world I've created for you. Step out of that world and it's not safe. You're in that world, it is. And my commandment for you is this, 
He says in verse, verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. I'm so glad he didn't give us 400 and whatever or how many are in the Old Testament. He said, like that one. <laughs> like, let's just do this one. This is my commandment, verse 12, that you love one another. This is a big one, though. He says, as I have loved you. Love each other the way that I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Wow. Notice that Jesus says, as I have loved you. Loved, past tense, I loved. And he's alluding to the cross. His followers didn't know that, but we know it. You see, in Jesus' mind, his love was a done deal. He was already crucified. It was already done. And he says, guys, the way that I've loved you and laying down my life for you, that's what I'm expecting for you to do with others. You've got one commandment, and that's to love each other deeply. Church, we are to take this really seriously. We are to be so committed to one another that we lay down our lives for each other. That goes beyond we should care about each other and care how each other's doing and love and laugh together and have picnics like we did yesterday and have that. But it goes much deeper than that. It's the love toward each other that goes through difficult times, that goes through messy things, that goes above and beyond the call of duty. And that kind of love takes time, and it takes service to the point of sacrifice. It takes a chunk of our life, and it takes us setting aside whatever our game plan is and what we've got going on, and giving of ourselves to somebody else. What it really takes ultimately, and this is a word, it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a, a bad word in our culture today, but it takes commitment. We as people like commitment less than ever before. We're committed to ourselves, but we struggle to truly be committed to others. And we struggle to, be, to live with that. You see, the issue isn't not knowing how to love. Jesus didn't sit down and pack for us, well, here's how you love and how you do it. He assumed we would know how to do it. Loving each other isn't a, a, isn't a knowledge issue. We don't need to have classes and training so much of like, this is what love, you know, is. What it really boils down to is a commitment. A commitment of time of our life to be in relationship with each other to a point that we're close enough to each other that we know each other well enough to know where the needs are, to know where the hurts are, to know where life is, and to be involved in the middle of that roller coasterness. And to be real honest with you, it's a lot easier not doing that. Because when you're that close to people, when they go up, you go up. And when they go down, you go down. And it hurts when others hurt. It's, it's a lot easier to just kind of be friends with people and be friendly, but to stay just, yeah, I'm just going to stay Two steps back. I don't get too close because I don't want to wade through all of that. And what Jesus is challenging us, church, is to not do that. 
He says, you should love each other so deeply because there is, you know each other. And through that knowledge, there becomes a, an awareness and a concern and a commitment. And as those things surface and arise, that rather than taking three steps back, we take two steps in to help one another. And yeah, it's going to be messy, and sometimes you might get feelings hurt, and sometimes you might get confused, and sometimes all the messiness of relationships happen because we're all sinful people. But he says, that's what I'm expecting of you, church. That's the mark of what you're going to be as my followers. The world's going to recognize that you are something different when you have that kind of care and commitment to one another. For us at River, we recognize that that's the relational equity that, that, that it takes to be there. We know that even in this room, you can't be that close to everybody. You can be generally care, but you can't be that close. And so that's part of our functions of why we, why we have our life groups. It's really why we, part of the reason why we call them even life groups rather than Bible study groups, because we hope in the middle of those times together, yes, we're opening God's Word, but there's life that's happening, and people are getting to know each other, and relationships are getting built. I mean, yes, a piece of it is learning about God and, and experiencing whatever God's talking to in our lives, but we want life and care to happen in those times and through those times and to be a pathway to that to one another. It's why we do even picnics and you know the pastor's homes to try to help people to, to connect so we can have a pathway of care when we walk through those really difficult times together. By the way, that's also why we even care about membership. You know, your name and my name is on more than enough lists in the world. Google prob itself probably knows all the lists you're a part of. I mean, it knows where you work and where you live and where your friends are. I, my cell phone today did something I did not expect. I got, by the way, for those of you that have been here at River for a while, it's Anthony Foxworth's birthday today. So he was a previous pastor here. If that name means something to you, text him and say happy birthday to you. But my cell phone, Facebook did not do this. My cell phone, just the text said, by the way, it's Anthony Foxworth's birthday. I didn't even know things were doing that today. So just everybody knows everything about you and about your friends and everything in life. You're on enough lists. But we care about membership at River not for list's sake, but the membership is where people said, stuck their hand in the air and said, I'm going to care about the people in this church. I'm committing my life to live in community and connection and to be a part of what's going on. To be a part of that, that's what matters. And to be connected and to love and to genuinely support and love one another. That's why we walk through those things together. You see, we're to love one another. And that takes a, a time and a commitment. It takes being in God's Word. It takes us then turning around and being committed to one another. It's impossible for you and I, let me say this and I'll move on to the next point. It's impossible for you and I to be close to Jesus without being close to Jesus' people. It's impossible for us to be in community with God without being in close community with God's people. It's an impossibility. That's what Jesus is telling us. He says, look, if you don't obey me, 
you're really not abiding in me. And what I'm telling you to do is to love and be in community with one another. So if you don't do that, you're really not abiding in my love. You're actually outside the danger zone. <laughs> so be connected. And that takes a commitment in your heart and a willingness in your life to be vulnerable and to engage and to listen to other people. And to, even if you've been damaged and hurt by people and relationships or nervous about that, all of us have gone through all kinds of things in our life. We're like that stray cat that, you know, just doesn't know it's a, a kind of a big, scary world. And sometimes new people do come and they do hiss a little bit. You know, we are supposed to love and see beyond all of that, but to be committed. Third thing, and then I'm done. What happens when we abide in Jesus? There's some powerful things that happen. Notice what Jesus says. He cares about fruitfulness. He says, every branch in me, in verse 2, that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, in verse 4, as I, and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You know what Jesus wants? He wants us to be fruitful in life. You cannot accomplish in this life what God wants you to accomplish without abiding in Jesus. You can't accomplish fruit, whether it's the fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That stuff that we really want, you can't do without abiding in Jesus. In other words, you can't even become a good person without being in community <laughs> with other followers of Jesus, and it's an impossibility. You have to engage in, in that world because what God wants in your life and my life is fruitfulness. He wants to reproduce His character inside of us. He wants to produce that fruit of the Spirit, the character of Jesus that He molds into our life to become that more gentle person, to become more that kind person, that person that's morally and just purely just good, not seeking selfishness, but just as is good and is holy, that loves and that experiences the peace and the self-control of life. He wants our fruitfulness to the point that He prunes us so we become even more fruitful. Have you ever pruned anything before? Have you ever cut off living tissue? You don't, a lot of times, you know, you think of pruning like cutting away the dead. That's really not real pruning. Real pruning is cutting away living tissue. I, the viewer at my house, there were some smaller maple trees around. We planted all of those like 17 or 18 years ago. They were little guys. It's kind of like being a proud parent. Like, I planted those. You know, they get bigger and bigger, you know. One of my kids, I will leave them nameless, ran over one with a lawnmower. You can trim a tree accidentally by a lawnmower, but it actually looks pretty amazing. I was coming back since that time. That was kind of an unintentional pruning. But I, I pruned all of those trees this, this past spring because, you know, you're supposed to take care of trees and they get a little ingrown and all that. But after I pruned the branches, they immediately, the sap just began flowing and bleeding out of it. The tree didn't like it. It did not like being pruned. It's painful to be pruned. You bleed when you get pruned. It hurts when you get pruned. Some of the things going on in your life right now is because God wants you to become more fruitful. And He's pruning away living tissue in your soul and in your life. And you're wondering why it hurts. 
and you're struggling to make sense of it all, and you can understand some of it. You probably won't understand all of it any more than I do. But what He's doing in your life is pruning you. He is all the time pruning us. And He's taking away branches that aren't quite as productive and removing living tissue so that He can create more fruitfulness. I'm not a gardener, but my understanding is for like you know, grapes and blueberries and all of that. And if you prune them, it, it encourages and stimulates growth and more berries and all of that. It's a natural thing. Susan and I, where we walk, there's a home, and I, we just said hello, just met the, the neighbor, I don't know, a mile or two down the road, and, and it's, he has an incredible, like, raspberry, like a line of raspberries and then blueberries, and then just fruit everywhere, just all on it. And he's just carefully, I thought about him, like, taking hours picking those things one at a time. I like blueberries, but my goodness, I, that's why God made, you know, grocery stores. And you can just kind of, you know, just thank you very much. And I just, he just, but he's just tenderly, I could tell, like he's just been all over it. God is like that in your life and in my life. He's always whittling away and pruning and looking for fruitfulness in your heart. That's what he's after. He wants your fruitfulness, not your happiness. He wants your fruitfulness. And so some of the difficulty that you're going through and all of that is because he's pruning away that tissue. And that comes as a result of you and me abiding in him and leaning into him. And as we go through the challenges of life, he's pruning us. And he's helping us to be fruitful along the way. He's doing it along the way to also to, to help us to be joyful. I'm missing a point in here before that, and maybe I'll remember, maybe not, but let me go to this one. Another one of the results in verse 11 is, is that we become joyful. He says in verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. <laughs> Think about just overflowing. He says, guys, I'm telling you this because I want you to have such unbelievable joy in your life. And I want that joy to just overflow. I'm talking to you these things that are good. You can't really experience the joy of God in your life when you live in disobedience. You're outside of God's bubble. You're outside of God's care. You're outside of God's love. You're outside. You're not experiencing God's joy. Last week, just before this, Jesus said, I'm going to leave you peace. Not like the world's peace, but my peace. And now He said, I'm going to leave you my joy. Folks, that's what we, we crave that. And that comes when you and I make our life with Him. And we get up in the morning, Lord Jesus, I know I'm going through tough stuff. Help me to lean into You, to, to live with You. God, help Your Word to soak into my soul. And as we do that, as we go through those difficult things, even when He prunes us and it hurts, we experience an overflowing joy in our life because we live our life where the God of heaven is inside of us. And it's not this abstract to-do list of rules and regulations, but it's God is living in us. And we experience His joy as we walk through all the challenges and difficulties and hardships and all those things in life. We experience that. And now I remember what I was going to say. We experience prayer, answered prayer. He says in verse 7, he says, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. Oh my goodness. 
That's like better than a genie in a bottle. There's not like three wishes, you get a million wishes. Hey guys, when you abide in me, my words are in you, and you're living inside my bubble, want whatever you want, and I'm going to give it to you. Too often, we get outside of God's will in our life, and we've wandered outside of His love and the world He's provided for us, and we experience pain, and we experience stuff, and then we pray to God, God, would you do this? And we get desperate with God. We just, God, would you? God, would you? And God's like, I'm not going to answer that prayer because you're not abiding in my love. You're asking stuff that you really shouldn't be asking for. You really don't know what you're asking. Like, get close to me, and then we'll talk. Start obeying me. And then I might actually, not might, that's what we do. We manipulate. God's like, obey me. Live with, it, with me. And then I'll give you what you're asking. Because what we're asking fits inside His will. What we're asking is already what He's built inside of us. So we get answered prayers, guys. Many of our prayers are unanswered, not because God doesn't care or God's not able. It's because you and I are not living with Him and His Word. And we don't have a clue what we're asking for, but we're so far outside of the bounds of God. And He says, I'm not going to answer it. And the last thing, and I'm done, we get intimacy with God in the middle of it. We don't have time to read the rest of the chapter, but He says, you are my friends. In verse, thir- verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. The Lord Jesus in heaven says, Guys, I'm inviting you into this incredible relationship that I have with my Father. And I'm that gateway, that go-between. And you're not just my servant, You become my friend because I've revealed everything to you. You are my friend. I'm not your bro, not your buddy, but I am your friend. And you are my friend. And you know me closely in life. There is an intimacy because you're living with me. Folks, that's what Jesus wants in our life, for us to experience an intimacy with Him and with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And this stuff is a little, it's a little bit abstract, but Jesus is talking to us in really concrete terms so that our relationship with Him is just as real as any of our relationships in this room. And that's what He wants for us this morning. So my question to you is, is where are you? Have you been traveling every other week for five months like I did with my wife? Have you allowed yourself to become distant with God? Have you allowed yourself, even as a Christian, say, well, I've read the Bible so many times, I know it's in it, it's okay if I go a few days. Go home and try that with your spouse. I've told you I love you plenty of times enough, right, honey? I don't need to say it anymore. I don't need to tell you you're beautiful anymore. I've already told you that a bunch of times, right? Go home, guys. See how well that works out for you. You know, I've had enough conversations already. We don't need to talk this week, right? We're good. Maybe you need to go back and just say, God, I've allowed myself to get distant. 
God, I'm not even sure how to get back to you. Well, that's the first step, is to say, God, I know that I've become distant and it's not you. And God, I realize this morning I've disobeyed you and maybe he's convicting you. Maybe you need to even ask him, Lord, I'm distant from you. Show me where I've messed up. You can never become distant from God without there being sin in your life. Why? Because you're doing your own thing. God, show me. I want to confess that. I want to get back into the bubble. I want to make my life with you. God, help me. I'm, I'm messed up. I'm lost. God loves to answer prayers like that, to meet us in the messiness of life. And maybe that's you. I don't know. But my challenge to you as much last week as I challenge you to every day this week is to, or, or less past week, is to wake up and say, Father, would you fill me with your spirit? This, this week, I want to challenge you, not just that, but to say, Lord Jesus, help me to live with you today. Open his word, take a moment and pray, and say, in this crazy world, God, I just want to live with you because I know you want to live with me. Whatever God has spoken to you today, respond to him. Won't you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you love us. Thank you the Spirit lives inside of us. Thank you that we can abide in you. And this is not some abstract, not some perfunctory religious duty, but we get to experience the fullness and robustness of life with you. Forgive us when we view life just through a horizontal plane of whether it's good or bad or hard or easy, what we like and don't like. Help us, Father, to realize you're pruning us, and that pruning hurts but ultimately it's for our good. And help us to walk through this world with a verticalness in our mind to live with you. Lord, I know people are hurting this morning. I know there's questions. I know there's challenges. And I pray in the quietness of abiding with you that you'd minister to each and every need. Lord, I pray that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.